Hello. Welcome to this episode of Great Conversations. It's my very special privilege today to welcome to the Great Conversation studio Dr. David Yeager. David Yeager is Associate Professor of Psychology at the University of Texas, Austin. David, welcome to Great Conversations. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a thrill to be here. I know that we've waited a long time to have this conversation, and I want our Great Conversations audience to know that really you were chosen to be the inaugural Great Conversation, <laughs> but your incredibly busy schedule prevented that. So I'm going to deem this the inaugural Great Conversation of 2018, <laughs> although we've done several. And Phase we'll, two. <laughs> we'll, we'll roll that time yeah. uh, camera back. And again, welcome today. We're so glad to have you here and to be able to have this conversation with you. David, your research has been broad-reaching and so impactful, really uh, affecting the work that each of us does every day in the classroom. So understanding that you come from a place with a very large oculus into the life of higher education, in your opinion and in your really educated opinion, what might be one or two of the greatest challenges that you think higher education faces today and specifically those greatest challenges that might stand between higher education and its attainment of its important goals of building the commonwealth and making education available to everyone? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I guess I would say three things. The first is that um, higher education is really the ladder of upward mobility in our country. That's the role that's always served, right? The great generation after World War II became this economic engine that made America a superpower in part because so many people came to higher education. And that dream is still alive. It's just not as straightforward and as simple as it may have seemed uh, in the past. So I think the opportunity for higher education to um, take people regardless of background, as long as people are motivated and prepared and willing to stretch themselves and acquire new skills and then help people acquire those skills I think is a is truly a great opportunity that I'm thrilled to be a part of as a professor. But the, my second point is that um, to the extent that higher education should be something that is beyond where you are now, that is beyond your abilities, maybe at the frontiers of your abilities in challenging you, as it should be, if it is going to help lift people in terms of their skills and their connections and their, the worlds that they have access to, um, that's a scary thing, right? When we do something new that's beyond how we feel competent and prepared, then it's uncertain. Am I actually prepared for this? Can I actually do this? Are the people who are supposed to be doing this with me actually there for me? Where are the resources? Many times the, answer, the answers are positive. There are people that you can do it. And yet, it's very normal to question whether you can do it. And so I think the second point is a barrier in the way of higher education serving its purpose for upward mobility is that people have to make sense of embracing these challenges. And um, colleges could do better at conveying to people uh, that as they try to make sense of their challenges, that they can do it, that they can succeed. Which brings to, I guess, the third point, which is really that um, 
colleges are just beginning to realize the power that really subtle messages have in shaping how people make sense of difficulty. So um, suppose you had a form to sign up for financial aid. And it's like impossible to fill out. There's just there's checkboxes. They're not. They don't make any sense. There's no instructions. It's like it's like someone took an IRS form and then scrambled all the words. Is how a lot of people feel when they see the box. And you might say that's frustrating, but you might also then go the next leap and say, um, if I can't even fill out this form, how am I going to pass calculus? How am I going to pass my freshman writing class? Am I ever going to get my degree? And there are a lot of subtle ways that colleges unintentionally convey to people that things might be hard and hard in the future. And it go, to go a step further, they unintentionally convey counterproductive messages in part to groups that are underrepresented. That is, um, groups whose uh, their family background is less of a match with people in positions of power and authority in an institution. Um, so first generation college students, students of color, increasingly religious minority students, um, or any, any group that you're a part of that may be underrepresented, uh, you may be getting signals from the institution that your group may not be fully accepted and, and belong. And so it's a real barrier, I think, and a challenge to think about how we can be more, be wiser, and be more effective um, in uh, in conveying to to all people that difficulties are common, that they can be improved, and that it's possible to succeed in college. David, how can teaching, in particular, what we do in the classroom every day as we practice our craft? Yeah. How can teaching, in particular, begin to rise up to address these challenges? And maybe even, how does teaching present unique pathways yeah. to be able to rise up and meet these challenges? Yeah. I mean, I think teaching is such a, just an important profession at every level. Uh, many of us can think back on that one person that changed our life. And for many people, it was a teacher. And we can probably think back on the one person who really disrespected you and made you feel like a nothing, and is also maybe a teacher. So I think, um, if not a teacher, then maybe a coach or another mentor or someone else who wielded power over you when you were young. And I think that the potential to go one direction or the other is rather dramatic, especially when people are just arriving at a place like the first year of college, first year of high school, or even the first year of law school, the first year of a new job. So. Um, so I think teaching is a is a important place uh, for conveying productive messages. So how do we do that? Well, I think as a as a teacher, we have two jobs, but we often attend to one of them. We one of our jobs is to provide curricular exposure. So activities, assignments, readings, um, essay assignments, tests that are rigorous and that help our students to pull novel ideas together and build skills. That's one goal. What we forget, though, is that if we ask students to do this and they feel this prepared, they feel far less prepared than they actually are, then that's really threatening and stressful for students. So our second job as teachers is to help create an, a climate and environment where um, students feel supported to take on the demands that we've been, been asked to. And one, there, there are a few contributors to whether students feel like they have the resources. One is, does the teacher think that if I struggle it means I'm dumb or that I shouldn't be in this class? Well, very few teachers actually think that, but unfortunately, very few teachers ever tell students that they don't think that. So there's a, there's a task of just clarifying 
your belief system with students. And the idea is, you may think it's assumed. Of course that's why I'm challenging you. I think you're great. That's why I'm pushing you. But students may not see it that way. They, they may see it as, I'm being asked to do this, and I feel like I can do this. And so by creating an environment that emphasizes growth and development of potential, then young people can avail themselves to the resources that they have. And, then, and rather than a hard assignment being a threat, it can be more like a challenge, it's a, a, a fun uh, task that I can overcome, that I can succeed at. Absolutely. David, I think that vision is a perfect one to wrap around the student and really become that mentor and that one important person in the college student's life. The next question then has to be, are we preparing our young professors to do that second job? Many of them come to, to us as content experts, are we reaching out to help them skill build to be able to support the students in the ways that you describe that are really so critical? I mean, the short answer is no, but the, I mean, the, it, it, for a good, kind of a good reason. I mean, uh, it's really hard to teach something that you're an expert in because you forget what confused you. Right, there's the old anecdote that the best math teacher is someone who had a B plus in math because they made the mistakes so they are sympathetic when, when a student makes a mistake. Right? Um, if you're a super expert and it always came naturally to you, then you say, no, 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 it's easy, just do that. But to the student who's struggling, then it, it doesn't feel easy. So I think, I think it's naturally hard for people who are at the top of their fields to explain anything that anything to novices. And that's not unique to professors. That's unique to expertise, I think. Um, but, but then there's the, the point of, so that's even on the content side. Then there's a the point on the social and emotional side. And I guess um, I would say that, no, I don't think many faculty are prepared. But I also think we researchers have not yet given really good practical advice because that line of research is just emerging. We kind of just realized that we can do rigorous experimental research on um, the practices of the teachers, not just on the beliefs of the students who are receiving the instruction from the teachers. So I think, um, in part, part of the onus is on us as researchers, where we need to up our game and go faster and do more and better research. Um, and it, it, I think you know we're here in Indiana. Mary Murphy is probably the leader in this field. She's doing this work at Bloomington on how faculty can create social and emotional environments that support students as they reach rigorous learning challenges. So really reaching out to faculty and perhaps supporting them in much the same way that we need to support our students, really find out how to help them navigate that in between, that content expertise, and this other pocket of skills that could really support yeah. the students. Yeah, although I increasingly, yes, yeah. but increasingly I've been using different verbs okay. than help and support. Yeah. Thank you. Because help and support imply remediation. And there's, maybe it's an unspoken thing, but like faculty don't like you know, to be called in the principal's office and told to change. Um, you know, we we focus on you know the other th things we're doing. And, and, or if you do focus on teaching, again, maybe you're pretty confident in your teaching and you're even less accepting of new advice. So I think the the different verbs are how do we um, inspire and uh, challenge and also create space for innovation, so that faculty who are interested in turning a lens 
on their practices, whether it's the informal ways they talk with students or the formal ways they structure syllabi and assignments and, and grading and points. Um, what are ways to help more faculty innovate faster and then share and spread innovations? And then I think all the, the mindset-related work we've been talking about in this conversation, it, ideally it's more of a high-status way to be an innovator in a field changer rather than, you know, uh, it's just something you need to be supported in. Right, right. Um, and so uh, I had been saying that for a while, and then I realized I need to put my money where my mouth is, and so I've started innovating in my own teaching a lot. And I've thought, how do I go from maybe a mediocre teacher, um, someone who gives good lectures and maybe picks good readings, but it's not clear that my students are maxing out their potential, to someone who uh, can both can create a class that's in uh, the, what I call the Trisman cell, which is extremely hard but extremely beloved. I feel like there's a lot of classes that are super hard that people hate, and there are classes that are really um, uh, easy that people love, and then the worst is to be really easy and hated. <laughs> um, Yes. But the best to be is very challenging and beloved. Yes, agreed. And Uri Treisman is, is my mentor and role model, won the MacArthur Award for his, his calculus instruction, does that. It's both the hardest calculus class on campus, gives the same test as Harvard and MIT, even right. though he's, he's teaching at UT, uh, but yet it's the highest rated and the most beloved and it changes lives. That is a great goal. So I'm going to ask you at this point to pull your crystal ball out, Dr. Yeager, and look into the future, if you will, and talk with me a little bit about what you think the future challenges might become for higher education, maybe even in particular for teachers in the classroom every day. And it may be that it's a present challenge that will persist, or you might see some new challenges on the horizon. I mean, the one I've been worried about for the last few years is the um, mass scaling of courses. Not because I'm against um, efficient modes of transmission, but because when there's not a reason to get up and get into class, then uh, students who already had lots of advantages and have parents who are tracking their every move in college, those students are more likely to continue being self-motivated, as it were. Um, and so I'm worried that the mass scaling of education uh, will just increase inequalities. And that more and more students with fewer advantages or who feel like they need to work to support family um, or who feel tied to siblings that maybe are in a crisis, um, that those students more and more will be less engaged on campus. So I think, um, I think the, uh, the high hanging fruit, as it were, is to achieve both scale, scale and efficiency of instruction, especially for your um, intro classes, but without exacerbating inequalities. And I think it's really important because as we started with, higher education is really an engine of upward mobility in our society. Um, and that's the social contract that we have with the taxpayers, is that we get to have this amazing life as professors where we're tenured and we, you know, get to think and you know read Descartes, and then 
Um, and the, the reason why is because we are providing um, knowledge, which is an important service to our communities. And the minute we kind of don't do that, then we're in trouble. So I think, um, I think that there is a challenge to demonstrate our value on our terms, both by increasing efficiency and effectiveness and preserving or even increasing upward mobility. And my hope is that the work we've done on the on mindsets or the motivational climate is a key piece of that. That um, people who might have been disenfranchised from higher education um, instead see it as the kind of place where they would like to work hard to impress a professor that respects them. And in turn, gain those skills to really stay inspired, creative, and continue making that space as professionals. That's right. David, I want to thank you very much for joining us in this great conversation. And I want to let you know, on a personal level, your work inspires my work every day. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs>